Hello, friends, and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. This week, we have an amazing guest on the show, and we also have a guest host for the first time on the podcast. My friend Grant McKenzie, who is a big supporter of the podcast and a big part of our Six Ways from Sunday community, recently attended a workshop in Camrose called Radical Wholeness. And he invited the instructor of that workshop, Philip Shepard, to come on the show. So Grant and Philip sat down together one evening after the Saturday of this weekend workshop, and they had an amazing conversation. Now, on this podcast, we often talk about some really foundational questions about life, like what it is to even be alive as a human being and what forms our sense of self and identity, our sense of spirituality and beliefs, our feeling of purpose and place in the world. In this conversation, Grant and Philip talk about some really cool ideas, including the relationship between and sort of this inherent tension between the conscious mind and the intuitive wisdom of the physical body that is aware of so much more than, than we could ever wrap our, our, our conscious mind around. They also talk about the impact of unintegrated energy in the physical body from things like unresolved emotions or ideas and how this stuck energy can interfere with the wholeness of our being. At one point in the conversation, Philip also speaks about the quest of science to pursue an understanding of the the smallest units of physical matter uh, in our universe and how for thousands of years we've tried to make sense of our place in the world by exploring what the physical world is made up of. We got to the point where we could look at a molecule and then we could look at the individual atoms that make up that molecule. And then we could look at subatomic particles of like electrons and protons. And then we got to force particles like photons and gluons and string theory and on and on. But Philip said something here that I just loved and wanted to to kind of pull out and, and offer you as a teaser before we get started here. And that was this idea that, in his words, the smallest indivisible unit is the wholeness that holds us all. I just, I just thought that was beautiful. It's something that we can never be separate from or ever be outside of. And then he goes on to say that, in his view, spirituality is the surrendering to this organizing intelligence, a deeper harmony than we could ever objectively know, because it's not an object, it's a limitless field, a limitless field of mind, I think he said. So, those are a few of the gems that you're about to hear and just some of the favorite pieces that really spoke to me. But before we get into it, I'd just lastly like to say how grateful I am to Philip for coming onto the show and to Grant for taking the time and the initiative to make this happen. And even more importantly, Grant, your willingness to be vulnerable and bring your own life to this conversation and to make it personal for asking some really fantastic questions that helped to take the conversation to such wonderful places. So that's enough from me. Thank you once again for joining us on the podcast today. And please enjoy this conversation between Grant McKenzie and Philip Shepard. Welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. I am here with Philip Shepard, who is the author of two books, Radical Wholeness and New Self, New World. I've been spending the weekend here in Camrose doing a workshop with him and his wife, and it has been absolutely phenomenal. It's all about, well, I'll let him describe what it's about, actually. 
Welcome, Philip. Yeah, thank you, Grant. It's a pleasure to be here. What's the workshop about? If I could put that in a simple way, um, I would be making millions. The, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not easy to describe because it is developed its exercises as a way of counterbalancing tendencies in our culture that have shaped our neurology, have shaped our way of being, mm. that are inherently um, destructive. And, and, and so it, you know, to describe the workshop separate, successfully sort of requires language that our culture um, doesn't really lean on it. You know, the, the workshop is called Radical Wholeness. And Everyone knows what wholeness means in our culture, but it's come to mean something that betrays its true meaning. It's come to mean something contained within a a, a shell or a or a or a container that you know that aspiration to be whole in body, mind, and spirit that's so beautiful is mired in a cultural paradigm that says we are independent from the world and we can organize ourselves into wholeness within the container of our skin and wholeness is born in relationship there's no there's no wholeness that that is not um part of everything wholeness has no outer bound so to speak of my wholeness as something that is somehow separate from the world around me is to fall prey to a a paradigm that this workshop is is trying to help people find their way beyond, whether it's a new experience of the breath or of the body's energy or of a way of seeing or of a way of, of being present. Mm, that's beautiful. Some, some people would call that devil worship if you're not using the word Jesus. Um, what would you say to those people? Um, I, I pretty find it, um, admirable that people can speak on behalf of Jesus in, <laughs> in words that he's never used, that they have that kind of access. Um, mm. Jesus is love mm. uh, in the simplest, in the simplest of terms. It's beautiful. Jesus is, a, a love that, um, accepts everything that, stands for stands for um, what is sacred so the oh yeah and the I mean the only time I'm aware of Christ outraged was with the moneylenders in the temple mm. and 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 to be to be soiling the very place of worship um, with with the minutia of 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 money lending and consumerism and the, consumerism and yeah. the that that rapacity mm -hmm. behind it but but christ um was able to live in wholeness and in truth i mean that you know the you're trying to trap him um when the adulteress was going to be stoned and are you going to um, obey the law and enforce the law or not? And 
I mean Christ's answer, born from that resonant, deep, dilated place of being was, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. I mean, that, that's that, that is, um, that could not be more truthful, more whole, more resonant. And, and Christ loved the outcast. Christ went to the lepers. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the wounded. He was drawn to them, understanding what it, what it means to be on the fringe. I mean, within his culture, he would have been perceived to be a bastard. He would have been perceived to be born out of wedlock, or conceived, certainly, out of wedlock. And in that culture at that time, that was a stain on the whole family. So he would have grown up an outcast. And he would have felt what it is to be vulnerable like that. And, and so, I, you know, everything that Christ stands for is rooted in uh, an open-hearted compassion and a genius of clear-sightedness that is, is a, a model for us all. Very well said. So what do you think his journey from, from being with the outcasts into his complete and utter wholeness looked like? Christ's relationship with God was the foremost relationship of his life. That is, um, and, and how early that was, I think, he, I think he was born into that. And, and to have um, the strength of spirit to allow your awareness, your attention to leave the monitoring and the supervising of the self and getting that right and allow it to dilate into the world and to find the courage and the generosity to take your attention off yourself and allow it to rest on the present and feel the tangible guidance of the present and live in that relationship as your primary relationship rather than the divided relationship of self-consciousness that, that binds us all. Um, I, and I, I see the journey in those terms of feeling what is asked of you, feeling what is being called forth and responding without hesitation. Mm -hmm. I heard you mention the word spirit in there. What does spirituality mean to you? We, we presume to know in our culture. I've heard it said so many times, um, science can understand everything. Everything is knowable. Everything is, is just basically atoms colliding or quarks colliding or strings. It's something, it's just little bits and pieces. And, and the, the agenda, the program of science has been largely grounded on that quest to find the smallest indivisible unit. 
And the smallest indivisible unit is the wholeness that holds us all. Who, who can divide the cosmos? Who can split that wholeness into something else? Who can leave it? It's not, it's not doable. But, but science with its, with its tongs cannot grasp the wholeness of the cosmos. So it loses wholeness and goes to mechanics, which is all that's left when you lose wholeness. Spirituality, to me, is a surrender, an attunement to an organizing intelligence, a deeper harmony than we could ever objectively know, because it is not an object. It is a limitless field of mind. And spirituality, in whatever form it takes hold, at its root is an attunement to the mystery. And you cannot feel the world in its wholeness until you feel the mystery that makes it whole. But to feel the world in its wholeness is almost impossible in our culture because we have been systematically desensitized to wholeness. So, so, you know, we struggle to feel the self as a, as a whole, to feel the world as a whole, to feel our careers in wholeness, to feel our relationships in wholeness. We, we cannot feel the present as a whole. I mean, we struggle, you know, meditate for six hours and finally you feel the present as a whole. All the present is, is wholeness. It is nothing else. It is nothing more. It is just that. It is wholeness. So to struggle to feel the present as a whole um, is to struggle to feel the present at all. If you can't feel wholeness, you cannot feel reality. And if you're not feeling reality, you cannot possibly come into harmony with it because harmony is not achievable with the intellect on which we've placed all our bets. That intelligence in the cranium that pulls to pieces and then pulls the pieces to pieces and pulls the pieces of pieces to pieces. That's, that's how it operates and it's brilliant and I love it, but it knows nothing about wholeness. Wholeness is what happens in the body. Wholeness is what the body instinctively attunes to, but we override the body's intelligence with our conscious mind. And I mean, the bizarre thing is that, that, that science, which is, which is glorious in its rigor and its findings, has found that the body processes a billion times more information than we can be consciously aware of. A billion times. And you will never take stock of that information, but you can feel it. And in exactly the same way, you will never take stock of the wholeness of the world, but you can feel it. And you can feel your wholeness in this moment held in the embrace of the present. And to me, you know, spirituality is about opening yourself to that experience. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. So that was kind of one of the contexts that we touched on today was wholeness. And then you talked a little bit about different brains. I'm wondering if you could get into that a little bit.
Yeah, um, um, you know, we're, we've we've migrated over history into the head, and we have forgotten the history that brought us here. So, as far as we're concerned, the only viable intelligence is in the head, and the body is a vehicle that walks us around, and that's a very very old understanding of our humanity. So if you go back to Plato, there's a dialogue, Timaeus. And Timaeus is this very wise man, and someone says to Timaeus, so Timaeus, how did the gods fashion us? And Timaeus responds, well, first, they fashioned this divine sphere based on the orbs of the heavens. And then they realized this divine sphere wouldn't be able to move itself around, so they grew it a vehicle, arms and legs, and thus enabled it to move around. And so there, there we are, 235 BC, and, and the body is already being experienced as the vehicle to move the head around, and that journey into the head has become more and more abstract ever since that. We, we rely for our very living on the abstractions of money and calendars and the clock. And, and the more abstract we become, the more our culture has a male inflection to it. So there are several things that happened in unison. When we discovered agriculture, when we started to domesticate animals, when we started to build permanent settlements, everything began to change. So you think, you think about taking a seed, and the moment you push that seed into the ground and plant it for the first time, there is suddenly a good and a bad where they did not exist before. So suddenly, this piece of ground no longer belongs to the goddess. It, I own it. And suddenly that little shoot growing up beside my seed is now a weed. Weeds didn't exist until I pushed my seed into the ground. And that animal coming along is now vermin and has to be killed because otherwise it might eat my plant. And that tree is putting my plant into shade. It has to be cut down because otherwise it might not grow well. Everything changes and and the changes rely on my ability to control the world around me. So in the period before that, that was the Neolithic revolution that began that. In the period before that, we survived by noticing and feeling. This location, I, you know, place and self and identity and family are all bound up together. All those relationships hold me in who I am. And, you know, there's a, the Magdalenian is, is a sort of late period before the Neolithic. And it's, it's been called the original leisure society because people spent 11, 15 hours a week looking after their basic needs. And the rest was what we call leisure time. But, but leisure time, I mean, what we associate leisure with is reading or 
watching Netflix or or you know chatting on on uh, FaceTime or or I mean our leisure time is filled with distraction. So to call it leisure time is misleading. To sit under the night sky and be and feel it and feel the world around you and attune to it and then you are guided and that guidance i mean we we misapply this scheme of control onto our forebears we've forgotten our history so that you know we look at their understanding of medicinal plants and we say, well, you know, that's pretty amazing, but, you know, trial and error over time, you, you sort these things out. Trial and error, that's absurd. Can you imagine you, John's got a headache. What plant haven't we tried for headache? Oh, here's one. John, eat this. Oh, no, John died. Who else has a headache? Because Somebody write that down somewhere. <laughs> John died. Yeah, John died. Scratch that. And, and um, we have another 300 plants to try. So if somebody else gets a headache, let us know. And then we've got all the... I mean, it, that's not... Plants speak to us. There is, there is a communion of life to life that we've forgotten. So... Um, that transition from the from the early Neolithic, late Paleolithic into where we are now, we took control of the world increasingly. And as we did, we turned away from the earth and towards the sky. And yeah, and suddenly up up is good and down is bad. And and we left the mother culturally and gathered around the father. So suddenly patriarchy takes hold. And we, you know, we left the goddess and turned towards the gods of the sky. And all of that happened as the center of our awareness in the body rose from the belly up through the body and into the head. And you can you can look at literature and trace that rise in art. So, for example, Homer, which is maybe um, language of 800 B.C., used a word freen or freenies over and over. And the word freen shows up in English as um, phrenology, for example, which is where you measure the cranium to see um, what a person's personality is, um, a, 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 a practice that has fallen into disrepute. And um, phrenograph measures the movements of the diaphragm. But they come from the same root, freen, which means mind, and it means diaphragm. So there's the, the Hellenic culture poised between the, the, the belly, the pelvic bowl, and the head in that journey upwards. And at that marriage of male and female, that, that, that tipping point, um, a culture created what we know as um, architecture, theater, um, you know, epic poetry came into its own. All these um, mathematics, philosophy, all these, these um, the very foundation of, of Western learning was birthed at that, at that point. And then, you know, after the, and the Greeks, you know, you see it, in, in uh, the translations of Richmond Lattimore, where once in a while he'll have a character say, 
The mind within my breast understands your words. So he's honoring that original meaning of freeing. And then, of course, we moved up to our heads from there. So there is a brain in the heart. There is a brain in the pelvic bowl. And we, what we've done is we've, we've numbed ourselves to their attunements to reality and withdrawn to this realm of abstractions where, where ideas are not felt, they are just manipulated. And it's an impoverished existence. That's very well said. I've heard it said that there's as many brain cells, neurons, in our guts as a dog has in their brains. And yeah, I, and, I don't and think a lot of us know how to listen 90, to those. 95% of our serotonin is created in the belly, with wow. the belly brain. And more information goes from the belly to the head than from the head to the belly. So how does one learn <clears throat> how to, to tap into that voice, to listen to it? So I'll, I'll take your question just in a slightly different direction. Thank you. Because my work isn't about listening to the body. The very concept of listening to the body, which is beautiful and wondrous and, and has its place, but it's the opposite of embodiment in a way because if if i'm if i'm telling you to listen to your body my metaphor is saying your body is next door and there's a wall between you but you know it'd be a good idea to put your ear to it once in a while and and just see what's going on over there so my work is about listening to the world through the body and to me the body is a resonator it resonates to the cosmos, given enough stillness and sensitivity. Mm. And the present, the present has within it the trace of everything that's ever happened. And it has within it the potential of everything that is to come. And all that is poised here in this transitory moment. And if the body finds spaciousness, and anything within the body that compromises its spaciousness is a form, it's a holding pattern, a form of resistance to the present. But when you, when you find, it's like, it's like if you take a singing bowl and you stuff it full of cotton balls and, and it loses its resonance, it, it no longer sings. That's what's happened to our bodies in our culture and how to find those cotton balls and integrate those and recover that spaciousness that once again brings you into relationship with the mindful present. So are those cotton balls, is that the, the connective tissue, the fascia, or is it more of an energetic kind of cotton ball? It's both. So there are, I'm aware of seven kinds of unintegrated energy in the body. Um, and, and one of the most common ones is emotions. Like you have an emotional shock and your being is not capable 
of integrating it. And so you park it, you put it on hold in the body and there's a, that's held in the tissue. And it's like a shadow in the body. Um, it's like a, it, it loses its sensitivity. It's kind of Peter Levine's work. Have you heard of him? Yeah. 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 That's interesting stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so there are uh, one kind of energy that's not integrated is emotional, and that's like a cotton ball. Mm. Another kind of energy is ideas. An idea that's not integrated desensitizes us to the world. Um, there's a comic who's fond of saying, um, you know, stereotypes are a great time saver. It's like, oh, because, oh, yeah, I know who that person is. I, I don't need to get to know them. I, I, you know, I've, I've got them pegged. But we do the same with, with the word tree. I know what that is. It's a tree. I, I don't need to feel it. We do the same with everything in our environment. Everything's named. Everything's known. When you know everything, you don't need to feel any of it. And that's how we walk through our world. And so when, a, when an idea is brought through the body, and I literally mean that, and allowed to come into contact with that realm of your being in the pelvic bowl, it integrates and newly sensitizes you. So there are emotions, there are, there are um, ideas that are unintegrated, there are muscle patterns that are unintegrated. So if, for example, if someone takes your head and says, relax your head, and they go to, they go to move it for you, yeah. you'll find yourself reacting yeah. against that. So any energy that is not integrated becomes reactive. We did, we did that exercise today, and I have never had to be as present as I was for that because I found so much resistance. And when you were explaining the exercise at first, I was like, oh, that's going to be easy. I'll just let my neck go loose. That's no problem at all. But it is a every microsecond, you have to be totally present to fight the resistance. It is... It's probably not the best language to use, but yeah, no, but it, but but we don't we're not even aware of these patterns, right. these unintegrated patterns within us mm. until you encounter it. And how else in our culture you just don't encounter it? Um, so there are unintegrated muscle patterns. There are um, unintegrated centers of intelligence. Mm. So we live in a binary culture. It's either this or it's that. I can be analytical, or I can feel from my heart. But they don't go together, right? I can know the world from my legs and feel that intelligence, um, or I can have a gut instinct, but, but they don't go together. Um, you know, I, when I was a kid, um, the movies were all about romance, but like no sex. And now they're like sex, but no romance. And it's like we can't even put that together for ourselves so there are the body there's so many centers of knowing and we flip-flop among them rather than soften into the wholeness of knowing from the whole of our being um, we have unintegrated warnings when you're a kid you might be told uh you know don't speak up you you, you sound stupid um who do you think you are um um you can't sing. That's, you know, you don't even, you can't even hold a note. Whatever it is. And we get, we get these warnings. That's just the way it is. Don't ask questions. That's yeah. just the way it is. And yeah. then when you're 13 and you're giving into peer pressure and you're like, why didn't you think for yourself? Well, I taught you to not think for, yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these warnings are reactive mm. and they're trying to keep us safe. Right. And you, you, 
you go to do something and the warning comes and and you know they're 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 called saboteurs in in some realms of thought and i'm i'm really um cautious about that because they're looking out for you they're not they're not trying to sabotage anything they're, they're trying to keep you safe they don't understand that you're not 10 years old anymore mm. right and so to feel that there and give it your gratitude and give it permission to come to rest is to give it the chance to integrate and then it loses that reactivity mm. and there are, so there are other i mean there are, to me I, i'm aware of seven unintegrated kinds of energy all of those are like cotton balls deadening the resonance of the bowl mm. and to encounter them and integrate them and and i you know i i despair at our culture's language of fixing or overcoming or getting rid of or um um uh, pushing to the side because the only the only means towards wholeness is integration there's just no other way sounds like that would take more than just a weekend workshop <laughs> well it's a beginning it's and the thing about wholeness is you never get there right you never wake up one morning and say finally i'm whole what next um wholeness is a moment to moment surrender that carries you into newness every time and it's not a destination it's not an achievement it's it's the fabric of our reality and you either you know i think our i think our our the the path of our life is shaped in a in a tug of war battle within us between the desire to forget and the desire to remember and they pull at each other and and that you know the the integration of the cotton balls is just a remembrance of the whole to which you belong mm. and that you can only surrender to that whole you can't you can't achieve it because it's already there and we fight it in so many ways and and achievement is sort of the the prow of our culture cutting its way you know forward through the the waves of existence and and the surrender to the ocean of being is something we find very difficult but but in my experience that surrender makes everything easier to land on the the ground of your being to come to rest there is to find yourself supported in everything you do mm been on the journey of spirituality for a long time and I've had a hard time in the past couple of years with the whole we are all one movement and it never really integrated as well as it did today until you talked about how the world becomes me and I become the world would you mind just elaborating on that a little bit yeah no I because I I have a love of life i want to experience it all i want to i want to feel reality to the best of my ability and that raises the issue well you know then what is my experience of reality right yeah we all ask that i think yeah and for me the best i can do is that my experience of reality is my experience of the world passing through me 
and and you know with every breath i'm taking into my body the exhalations of forests and they are becoming me that oxygen goes into my cells and becomes part of me and then i breathe out and the carbon dioxide is a gift in exchange that in time may become part of the forests that became me and i you know so the world with every breath is becoming me and with every breath i am becoming the world we're turning into each other and you you know you bite into a peach and you you chew it and it's it's flesh and its juices are swallowed and they become capillaries and they become toenails and the energy of that peach expresses itself as you walk down the street it is your energy and the peach passes through you to nourish the peach tree or used to until toilets were invented so the world is becoming me and i am becoming the world and and i don't think there's a a molecule in the body um that's actually there for more than 10 years or something it's the world is washing through me the way it washes the the way a river washes through a whirlpool and and the whirlpool is there the form of the whirlpool is is stable and and you can come back to it day after day but but it's the river running through it that holds it in that form it's the world moving through me and and i sit opposite someone and i feel their energy passing through me and i feel that my reality more keenly as it comes through me i feel myself located in this place with this other person so specifically as i allow that energy to pass through me and so that that openness of the body the spaciousness where the cotton balls have been integrated that's what welcomes the world's energy it passes into that spaciousness and passes through and i just like the singing bowl i resonate to it and feel it and feel the specificity of this moment more keenly as a result what do you call that I know you're you're so accurate with your language. I don't want to say anything wrong. <laughs> um would you call that emotional intelligence? What what kind of intelligence would that be? I I I I wouldn't uh per, I per, I have no problem with it being called emotional intelligence. I think our culture um has a problem with emotions. Mm. Um I think we misunderstand their place. So to me an emotion is like a lens that pulls some aspect of your world into focus. Your love for someone shows them up in vivid detail. Your anger at some act shows it up in vivid detail. It 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 an emotion says look at this and and opens the aperture and you you see it so clearly. Now you're looking add it through the emotion if you if you if you um think you should be paying attention to your emotions there's a tendency to to stop the emotion from the motion 
that it's in. So it, it, you, you uh, focus on the emotion that is trying to open your heart to the world, and the emotion is denatured. Um, and then what, what do you do with it? So like that spaciousness of the body through which the world runs, the emotion courses through it, and the emotion is showing me what's important in my world. It's alerting me, but, 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 but it's like, do you look at the finger or do you look at the moon to which the finger is pointing? And I think to, I mean, yes, you need emotional intelligence. Yes, you need to access the body and feel what runs through it like a river. But, but that, that, that river, that attunement is there to bring you into relationship with the world. And we're, we're such a self-absorbed, self-conscious culture. We tend, we tend to want in as many ways as possible to come into relationship with the self. And it's like taking the spotlight of your attention and turning it on to yourself and casting the world into darkness. And then we feel alone and we wonder why. You know, it's, it's, we're bound in division um, within ourselves and in a divided state. One part of you is aware of the other part of you. And, and that is, by definition, self-consciousness, mm. conscious of the self. What about being conscious of the wholeness in which your every moment is embedded? It's a lot of work. Yeah, and it's also, it feels better. Mm. It feels easier. It feels more spacious. So everything I do, every exercise I teach, I, I'm sharing it because it's helped me feel better. And to allow the breath to release from the body with ease, to allow my energy to settle on the earth, um, to, to go into receptivity, whatever it might be, it just feels better. And so, and so it helps. You know, yes, it's work, but, but with, with every bit of love and attention to, to that softening, you are feeling better and better, so you're more and more deeply supported in it. Mm. Yeah, those exercises are really, really good. Is there anywhere anyone can see them to, to try to start integrating them themselves to try some of these exercises out? Um, I've got some audio exercises, which is different from seeing them on my website. Um, and um, I'm also um, developing audio courses. So there's a, there's a fellow in Australia, and I'm collaborating with him, and there's a website, tep.life. Okay. T-E-P-P dot life. And I'll have a link to that. Yeah, and... and um, there are, there's a, it, it, it's a, we're offering a, basically a course a month and each course looks at um, um, relationships or um, reconnecting with yourself. It's, so each month is built around a theme and, uh, and you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm just hoping, um, and I've had great feedback about it, that, that it can get the work to, many more people than I can mm -hmm. meet up with in person. Yeah, it's 
it's hard to mass produce something like this because so much value comes from the connection, yeah. being in the same room with you. And it's, it's tough to think of that working on a mass scale as well as it has for me today. But I think if people were to start integrating these exercises into a daily routine, I think there could be a huge shift in removing some of those cotton balls, feeling our bodies a little more, really just moving our awareness from being stuck in the head all the time into our bodies. Yeah, and if your awareness is stuck in your head, you're living in self-consciousness, you're living in division. Mm -hmm. And the body's intelligence, which is aware of a billion times more information than you could ever be consciously aware of, to, to drop down into that and dwell within it and feel the world through it. Um, it makes everything easier and it, it puts to rest. Uh, there's a restlessness within our culture. Uh, we, are, we are driven to consume, to, 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 to distraction, to, and, and to me, when you disconnect from your being, and I really feel the pelvic bowl, that center of intelligence in the body, as the realm, as the core of my being, when you disconnect from your being, you leave a hole behind. And our whole culture seems bent on filling that hole with stuff or distractions or alcohol or drugs or or you know gambling or or whatever it might be and there it, there is no filling the hole mm -hmm. it it it's 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 it will remain an emptiness within us it will remain a, the 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 insatiable driver of our culture mm -hmm. until we come back to the body and reclaim that realm of being as as the center of our life i think buddhists call that in the realm of hungry ghosts. There's a, an image of a very skinny ghost. It's got its head back and its mouth's wide open and it's just trying to consume everything all the time. That's and, us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in so many sad ways. Gabor Maté wrote a really good book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Um, it's about his work with addictions in Vancouver. It's, it's worth a read. He's He's brilliant. Yeah, he's he really fabulous. is. Yeah. I think a lot of people in the religious community would call that a God-shaped hole. Hmm. And with your definition of, of God, I would, I would totally agree with that. Being the wholeness, trying to integrate that. Thank you so much for your time today. I know you got to get going. And I really appreciate your, your presence and your energy. And I hope people can get something out of this podcast. Thanks. Such a pleasure being with you here. Hello again, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I know I got tremendous value from listening to this conversation and definitely will be listening to it uh, at least once more to sit and reflect uh, even further on some of these thoughts and ideas and how they connect to some of the soul searching and seeking that I've been doing lately. Uh, so I hope that you experienced as much value and impact from listening to this episode as I did. And I wish you all of the wholeness and connectedness 
and wellness that is yours to embrace and to grow into and experience in this life. Take care and be well.